It's the apocalypse, end of days, the judgment day, the end of the world, my friend. The Mayans knew about it, the Hopis, the, uh, the I Ching, the Bible. What would you say if I told you that everything happening in the world today was predicted in a book that was written over 2,000 years ago? The information I'm about to lay out for you has been discussed for thousands of years, however. Our generation is the only generation in the history of the world who is lucky enough to see these things come to pass, and it's happening right before our very eyes. Now, at this point, some of you may be saying to yourselves, but the Bible was written by men, and Jesus Christ is just a myth. So why should we believe in some fairy tale from a time long ago? Fairy tale? Myth? Actually, this couldn't be further from the truth. The truth of the matter is that Jesus Christ was an actual historical figure whose life was well documented in non-biblical historical records. He was even documented performing miracles. His crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension are all matters of historical record. Real historians and scholars from all over the world agree on these things, and anyone who investigates these matters for themselves will reach the same conclusions. And I'm not talking about just googling something or reading articles written by people who have an agenda. I'm talking about source material, original documents, and historical records. These things have no agenda and are not open to interpretation. They simply tell it as it is. Now, we could go on for hours talking about this, but I'll just leave you with this clip from Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ. I remember going alone in my room and I took a yellow legal pad and put a line down the middle. And on one side, I started to list all of the evidence I had encountered for Jesus Christ being the Son of God. And on the other side, all the negative evidence against that. And I, I wrote and I wrote page after page. And finally, I put my pen down. And I said, wait a minute. In light of this avalanche of evidence pointing toward the truth of Christianity, it would require more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to become a follower of Jesus Christ. So now that we've established that Jesus Christ is a real person, let's take a look at some of his words and the prophecies he made and see if they hold up in modern times. So one day, some of Jesus' followers came to him and asked, What shall be the signs of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus gave them a list of things to look out for. And then in Matthew 24, 7, he says this, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows, meaning when you see these things take place, there is no turning back. These events are going to set off a chain reaction resulting in the end of the world as we know it, or as it's called biblically, the day of the Lord. All the things he said are coming to pass right before our very eyes. Let's break it down. Nation against nation. The word used in the original manuscripts for nation is ethnos, meaning a race, that is, a tribe. So ethnos versus ethnos, or race versus race. Sound familiar? What about kingdom versus kingdom? Well, we see this playing out live on TV every single day, and it has been for well over 100 years. The first time China has expelled and actively denounced the U.S. for what it calls the illegal trespass of a warship off the Shisha Islands.
India and China will be holding their seventh military level talks on Monday. The meet is expected to not only take stock of the situation on ground, but also the measures on de-escalation by the Chinese side. Heavy fighting between Armenia and Azerbaijan has continued for another day. And as more explosions rock the area surrounding Ukraine's largest nuclear power plant, officials are urging the kingdom of the west versus the kingdom of the east and it's not just about war it's about ideologies domination and control kingdom versus kingdom there shall be famines according to the united nations the world is on the brink of a biblical famine caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. 135 million people in 55 countries experienced acute food insecurity in 2019. 135 million people. And that was last year, before COVID-19. Let's put that into perspective. 135 million people. That's almost half of the entire population of the world when Jesus was alive. There will be famines. Pestilence. The word pestilence means a plague, literally the disease. Can you think of anything that matches the description of the disease? Not only that, but people are the sickest they've ever been, historically speaking. We have modern medicine and drugs that don't heal people. Rather, they keep people sick and just manage their symptoms. That's why it's not called the healthcare industry. It's called the sick care industry. According to the World Health Organization, 29 million people die each year from preventable diseases that could be cured with proper diet and exercise. Pestilence. Earthquakes in diverse places. Despite what you may have heard in the past, this is the compiled data from the USGS from over the last 100 years. Keep in mind, that we're not talking about the millions of micro-tremors that can now be detected from the distribution of more numerous and sensitive sensors, but strictly data from the larger earthquakes that can be felt by people beginning at 6.3 and up on the Richter scale that could be easily detected by early 19th century sensors from virtually anywhere in the world. This data shows what the USGS and other organizations do not want you to see. It shows that the earthquakes are increasing in intensity and they are increasing in frequency. This is exactly the description that was prophesied. Now, these aren't the only things that Jesus told us would happen before the day of the Lord occurs. He also said, Matthew 24, 9, Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my namesake. We see this exact scenario playing out right now all over the world. Places like China and North Korea have underground churches where their members risk death if caught. We see groups like ISIS lining Christians up and decapitating them on camera and then uploading the footage online for the whole world to see. Not only that, he said, you shall be hated for my namesake. And that's exactly what's happening in society as a whole. People are embracing this newfound hatred for Christians and for Jesus Christ. Christians are now being looked down upon and treated like some kind of disease that needs to be cleansed from the earth. You shall be hated for my namesake. Matthew 24:10. And then many shall be offended and many shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Many shall be offended. Hmm. Sound familiar? It's no secret that society has become ultra-sensitive and now people get offended by every little thing. You can't even speak about ideas anymore without someone taking it the wrong way and hating you for it. People call it political correctness or cancel culture. And the Bible told us this would happen. Many shall be offended. Check. 
And then Jesus said in Matthew 24, 11, And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. False prophets deceiving many. Again, this should sound very familiar to a lot of you. We have people like Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, and basically the entire NAR movement who are leading people in the wrong direction by preaching a false gospel to their millions of followers. There are hundreds of examples of this. The false gospel is being preached, and concepts like repentance and hell are being excluded from the Bible because people are too scared to talk about them. False prophets. Check. Matthew 24:12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Iniquity, otherwise known as wickedness or sinfulness. It's running rampant in our world. Just turn on the TV and wait five seconds. You'll see. Move! The subject's closed. Yeah! Uh, it's a robot that is designed to molest children. Another thing Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. This is a curious one. The gospel of Jesus Christ shall be preached to the whole world, and then the end will come. This news story from late 2018 really hits the nail on the head for this one. This missionary was killed by an uncontacted tribe on a remote island off the coast of India in late 2018. And this island is thought to be the last place on earth, literally, where Christian missionaries have never been. He was killed preaching the gospel to literally the last place on earth where the gospel had never been preached. And think about this, what happened since then? Basically everything. Since that time, late 2018, the world has gotten exponentially worse. And it's actually quite astonishing how fast things have declined since that time. The gospel shall be preached to the entire world. Check. All these things Jesus warned about have come to pass, or are coming to pass right now. But what about the rest of the Bible? What other prophecies have been fulfilled regarding end times events? Well, the list can go on for miles, so we're just going to cover a few of them here. The book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Many shall run to and fro. According to the FAA, over 1 million people fly every single day. On top of that, there's an estimated 1.4 billion cars on the road globally, with more being added every single day. There can be no mistaking it. Our generation has more people going to and fro than any other point in history. Many shall run to and fro. Check. And knowledge shall be increased. This one is no mystery. With the advent of internet, smartphones, and technology, more people have access to the collective knowledge of all of humanity combined than ever before. Approximately 4.57 billion people in the world have access to the internet. Compare that with the 300 million that were alive during Jesus' time, and there could be no mistaking it. Knowledge has increased to levels that would be considered impossible by the people living in biblical times. Knowledge shall be increased check. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So this prophecy has two parts. In the latter times, people will, one, depart from the faith, and two, give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. 
Now, it's no secret that large numbers of people are abandoning Christian beliefs and exchanging them for New Age ideas like reincarnation, karma, and the law of attraction. Here are a few charts from the Pew Research Center that illustrates the decline of Christianity in America. So this is between 2018 and 2019. And as you can see here, it breaks it down into the four generations and how many are Christian. The silent generation, born 1928 through 1945, 84% are Christian. Baby boomers, 1946 through 1964, 76% are Christian. Generation X, 1965 through 1980, 67%. And then now we get to millennials, 1981 and 1996, 49%. That's 35% decline. Only 49% identify with Christian beliefs. Now, if you look at the other side of the chart, 40% of millennials are unaffiliated, meaning they're atheist or agnostic or something like that. However, we know that these numbers are probably not too accurate. And people who identify with being Christian doesn't mean they're Christian. There's a large difference between somebody who maybe was born in a Christian household and identifies culturally as a Christian and somebody who is a born-again Christian. There's a huge difference there. So this chart doesn't tell us who's a born-again Christian and who's not because we all need to become born-again Christians. Nobody's born a Christian. It's a decision you have to make for yourself. Now that we've established the fact that people have departed from the faith in large numbers, let's take a look at the second part of this prophecy. People will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So what exactly are seducing spirits and doctrines of devils? Well, spiritualism, new age belief, witchcraft, and shamanism all fall into these categories, but that's not all. We can take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 10 and get a little bit more detail on this subject. Quote, there shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all these things are an abomination unto the Lord. It's as clear as day. New Age beliefs are an abomination to the Lord. You see, all these spiritual ideas do not come from God. They come directly from Lucifer himself. Remember what he told Eve in the Garden of Eden? Ye shall be as gods. Sound familiar? Because that's exactly the same philosophy that New Age teaches. New Age beliefs say that we are all God, the universe is alive, and we are part of it. We create our own destiny, we are masters of our own universe. And if we want something bad enough, just will it into existence, because you are God. Now, we know that's false, and we know there is only one God. And that's exactly why it's an abomination unto the Lord to practice these things. Because we're trying to put control into our own hands, when there's only one in control, and that's the Lord. The bottom line is that New Ageism comes directly from Lucifer. Ye shall be as gods. It's the oldest lie in the book. Now, let's take a look at another chart from the Pew Research Center and see what it says about how many people believe in New Age beliefs. Now, take a look at this chart and you're going to see something shocking. It says right here, plain as day, 37% of Christians believe that spiritual energy can be located in physical things. Also, 40% of Christians believe in psychics. What does that tell you? It tells you that people don't read their Bibles because we know that it is an abomination unto the Lord to believe and practice such things. 29% of Christians believe in reincarnation and 26% of Christians believe in astrology. These are all doctrines of demons and they are giving heed to seducing spirits. And it's not just Christians that believe in these things. If you look at this chart, it says right here, 78% of people believe in at least one New Age belief. 78%. There can be no question about it. People have departed from the faith and have given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, making this prophecy fulfilled. Now let's take a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 22 through 32. 
and see if this rings any bells for you. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men, and to birds, and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women changed their natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of of the woman burned in their lust toward one another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do these things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they would commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, there is only one generation in the entire history of the world that matches this description. There can be no mistaking it. Just look back through history and try and find one generation that fits the bill. You won't be able to. The truth of the matter is that our generation is the only one in history to fulfill all of these things. There is no question about that. We could go on all day, as there are many more Bible prophecies that describes the times we are living in, but I think you get the idea. Prophecy in numerous parts of the Bible refer to a coming day when portals will be opened and spiritual entities are going to pass through and come to the earth. There is something more supernatural on the drawing board at CERN than what is being admitted. Even Adam Barker of Tech Bubble wrote of CERN a while back that with the LHC, CERN are expecting to find other dimensions and open portals to these dimensions. Uh, if you have the image of Stargate in your head right now, you're spot on. That's what he said. And then he went on to draw parallels to the biblical story of Jacob's ladder. Um, perhaps you remember the dream that says, Behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Then Jacob wakes up from his sleep, and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Um, and he was afraid. And he says, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Genesis 28. Now, this ladder uh, described in the first book of the Bible describes something like a portal from heaven to earth through which God's angels, interdimensional and spiritual beings from another reality, were traveling. Um, when Jacob wakes up, he refers to the location as a gate, much like today's trendy terms, gateway or stargate. Uh, one of CERN's goals is to recreate Jacob's Ladder, according to uh, Barker, and to reopen a portal. Now, 
Sergio Bertolucci, who is the official director for research and scientific computing at CERN, he was asked a while back about this extra-dimensional doorway by the Register, which is a London and New York-operated science and technology journal. And he didn't hesitate with an enlightening response. He said, yes, out of this door might come something, or we might send something through it. Now, if that's true, and if those are accepted for their literal meaning and not written off as some kind of poetic allegory, as some scholars have claimed, then the idea of CERN playing with gateways is a major concern. Uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. And if, as CERN claims, they're only out to explore space, time, matter, particles, and the origin of our known universe and planets from exclusively a scientific or Darwinian-related perspective, if their agenda is unrelated to Bible prophecy entirely, then what is it with all this mystical symbolism that they knowingly are associating themselves with? Wouldn't it be more appropriate for them just to proudly display a polished statue of a particle or some artist depiction of the Big Bang instead of the statue of Shiva? For those who have not yet heard about this controversial piece of art that CERN proudly exhibits between buildings 39 and 40 near the main uh, building of their operation, it stands as really the most visible and celebrated imagery behind their work, Shiva. This is the Hindu god of destruction. In 2004, the government of India, which has had a long-standing friendship with leaders behind the CERN project, even before the completion of the Large Hadron Collider, they gifted CERN with this bronze work of an art uh, depicting Shiva as uh, Nataraja, the lord or sometimes king of the dance. This dance that Shiva performs uh, uh, in the sculpture is the one that provides the source of the creation cycle in Hindu mythology, the preservation of all life and existence and the termination of all life and existence. The Rudra Tandava is a dance that especially displays Shiva's um, sadistic personality as he rains down the ultimate destruction upon a weary planet. The plaque at the side beside the statue, however, reads in part, hundreds of years ago, Indian artists created visual images of dancing Shivas in a beautiful series of bronzes. In our time, physicists have used the most advanced technology to portray the patterns of the cosmic dance. The metaphor of the cosmic dance thus unifies ancient mythology, religious art, and modern physics. So right there out in the open for all to see is a direct correlation between the Hindu perception of Shiva hundreds of years ago, which is the concept of destroyer uh, that I explained a moment ago, and our time unifying, quote, ancient mythology, religious art, and modern physics. Something is going on. You think everything's a conspiracy. Everything is. Additionally, and perhaps even more important, there's a significant section of CERN that is built upon the St. Genus Poili, which is a commune in Ain, uh, a department of France. In Roman times, the St. Genus Poili 
was called Apollyacom. Um, but the town and a temple were dedicated there in ancient times to Apollyon, the destroyer, the Shiva Horus, if you will. Apollyon uh, is also the angel of the bottomless pit, referred to in Revelation 9-11. And then there is a connection between CERN and the Gothard-based tunnel, the GBT, which is the world's deepest and longest tunnel system, consisting of two parallel passages, each moving in a single direction on a single track. The GBT passes directly beneath St. Gothard's Pass, a strategic um, north-south corridor that connects northern and southern Switzerland. Um, the connection to the Large Hadron Collider has to be made primarily because of the bizarre opening ceremony that was live streamed to the entire world on June 1, 2016, that included this highly occult demonic dance with characterization, um, beginning with a call to unite the religions of the world by conducting an interfaith blessing of the tunnel beside a statue of St. Barbara, the patron saint of minors. Um, following the blessing at the statue of St. Barbara, the press, along with visiting dignitaries, also paid tribute to the nine miners who had lost their lives during construction of the uh, tunnel. Uh, Bodillo's southern portal provided the visiting dignitaries a disturbing parade, really, of miners, erotic dancers, zombies, fallen angels, all of whom were obeying the call of what they called the shepherd, whose yodels invoked the appearance of the event's uh, infernal master of ceremonies, a goat man, um, portrayed by a young and energetic dancing male. This creature is shown with a Baphomet headdress, a goat, uh, a goat demon's head, if you will, and a goat body costume with a hairy pelt. And then it had a formal tuxedo over the top. Um, the imagery was heavily evocative of the German and barbarian uh, Christmas demon known as Krampus. Now, according to tradition, Krampus accompanies St. Nicholas on his midwinter rounds with the intent to steal boys and girls, putting them into a basket carried on his back, uh, or he may decide to beat them with branches for being naughty. Uh, Maurice Bruce published a book on pre-Christian Alpine traditions in 1958, and he had this to say about the half-goat, half-demon entity. There seems to be little doubt as to the true identity for in no other form is the full regalia of the horn god of the witches so well preserved. The birch, apart from its phallic significance, may have a connection with the initiation rites of certain witch covens, rites which entailed binding and scourging as a form of mock death. The chains could have been introduced in a Christian attempt to bind the devil, but again, they could be a remnant of pagan initiation rites. Many show the goat man uh, in formal dress and a tuxedo-style cutaway um, formal coat and trousers, but with his usual horned goat face and always with his tongue extended. Now, this tongue-out pose seems to be popular with ancient uh, gods, whether they're 
Mayan, Hindu, Babylonian, Egyptian, Greek, or even British. Um, for some reason, the coat of arms from the Prince of Wales supports both a lion and a unicorn with their tongues extended, for instance. More than likely, this tongue position represents sex magic, fornicating with fallen angels. The ancient symbol of the horned god referenced by Maureen Bruce uh, in the quote that I made a moment ago. It allows us to connect our goat demon from the opening ceremony uh, at the uh, GBT to CERN. Despite the fact that the Large Hadron Collider uh, sits three to four hours down a twisty road from the location, the Horn God's circular logic and passion for human depravity, uh, Hernunos, as is sometimes called, or Cernunos, uh, or the green man of British lore uh, simply had to make an appearance at this occult ceremony. Josh Peck and I uh, and many other researchers have written extensively regarding the in-game plans for tunneling beneath the earth and smashing atoms to smithereens as nothing more than a thinly veiled attempt to open portals. But the opening ceremony at Gothard uh, made it clear that these portals are intended to do something else, and that is to release demonic entities. The twin tunnels of the Gothard base tunnel um, commence with twin portals on a single track. These northward and southward journeys symbolize the death-birth-death cycle of the green man who dies in the fall and winter and rises in the spring-summer. The tunnel ceremony was all about sex rights and rebirth, leading to a new world order that's a complete reversal of the Judeo-Christian design. Uh, this included the triple goddess and the horned god, along with human sacrifice and a return to pagan worship, all of which lie at the center of this nauseating ritual play, which you can probably still watch uh, on YouTube. Dancers dressed as miners climbed this rock face and they dug into the earth, so to speak, to unveil what was beneath the earth, a great machine. Uh, formed from human arms that rotated and churned into various shapes and design, uh, many of which resembled the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. Once this opening was achieved, the miners stripped off their orange jumpsuit uh, attire uh, and uh, took up arms, that is, they used staves to perform a dance routine that looked like warfare. It was this forensic dance that aroused a giant. So clearly the endeavor um, connected to CERN is far more than Switzerland's braggadocio about an engineering feat. The connection between CERN and ritualistic summoning of a sleeping giant, the horned god of Cernunos or even Melkart, uh, both are types of the rising dying god and Melkart slept for half the year which may be why Elijah told the priests of Baal to call louder because he might be sleeping. Of course, I can only speculate, um, but I note the connection between Nimrod, Apollo, and Abaddon, Apollyon at CERN, and the history of the region uh, are all highly curious. Apollo was worshipped by the Romans of that area, 
as well as the Greeks and in central France. Apollo was equated with the Celtic god Atep Omerus. Um, these two characters were combined to create Apollo Atep Omerus, which can be translated as great horseman or possessing a great horse. In the Celtic belief, horses were closely related to the sun. The interesting thing to note is the connection between this idea of Apollo being associated with horses in France, uh, where part of the LHC and CERN resides, and what the book of Revelation states about Abaddon, where it says, And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men, and they had a king over them which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon, end quote. I also note that Revelation chapter 9, after describing how these devil worshipers will be judged during the great tribulation period, it ends in verse 21 saying, neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorceries, which is the Greek pharmakia, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Now, pharmakia is the word that describes the ancient occultic effort to use mind-expanding drugs during rituals in order to open a doorway for making contact with unseen supernatural entities. So, given these descriptions, is it possible that CERN will have something to do with the opening of the bottomless pit described in Revelation 9? In your opinion, are we living in the end times? Yeah. We are now living in the most prophetic time since the first coming of Jesus Christ. I could take an hour or two and prove that to you. We don't have that kind of time right now, but we really are. I preach and teach on it all the time, and I've written books on it, and, 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 and this prophecy conference I'm doing, I spent an hour and a half talking about why it is and, and how we know that we are living in the most prophetic times since the first coming of Jesus. And I'm trying to wake up the church. Look, we're living in very prophetic times. Israel's back in the land. Jerusalem now belongs to Israel. You know, the Middle East is on fire. Syria has collapsed. Turkey's collapsing into an Ottoman Empire. Russia's in alignment with Persia. Persia and North Korea. China's got their first military base out of their nation. I mean, on and on, the borders are collapsing. Western culture's being overrun by political correctness. Then to think of the technology explosion. And I love technology. I'm a techno geek. So I'm not one of those old guys that say, well, that newfangled stuff, that's of the devil. Well, but here's the deal. We have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So every technological boom that comes forward, CRISPR-Cas9, that's amazing. Genetic editing, that's astounding. Can we use it for good? Absolutely. We can blast people's lives. But is it going to be used only for good? Absolutely not. In fact, now it's already perverted and perverse, and we have not yet seen the bottom of that dark hole. All right? Robotics and, 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 and artificial intelligence. Can we use that for good? Oh, my gosh. It, it, would, it would just make the whole world transformed in some wonderful ways. But the problem is we build that robots, we put artificial intelligence, and then the makers of it say, I know what, let's have sex with it. It's, it's just the perversion is 
uncontrollable Pandora's box has been opened. So when you put all this stuff together, and then you understand that we're the first generation in humankind to see the convergence of all this stuff since the return of Israel just 70 years ago. Just 70 years, our historical lifetime. You and I, neither one of us are 70 years old, but you and I both grew up with Israel has always been there in our lifetime, but it really hasn't. It's just been seven little decades. Seven little decades, it's been there. 2,700 years before that, there was no Israel. Yet the word of God said in the last days, I'm bringing it back, and I'm paraphrasing, but God says it in Ezekiel 38, 39, says it in Deuteronomy 4, and several other scriptures. In paraphrasing, he says, and when I do this, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, and there is no other. I will bring them back in the sight of the nations. This will be my witness to the nations that I am the Lord. And I'm going to paraphrase and add this because this is the implication of it and that we are in the last days. When you see Israel return, we're 70 years. We're just a few months the other side of Jerusalem being restored. Another 2,700-year-old prophecy that we're living in the midst of and 98% of the pastors in America never mentioned it and to this day haven't mentioned it. So yes, we're living in the end times and what that means is we're we're getting so close to the return of the Lord. Now, I know there's going to be an antichrist system, but, but as, as horrific as that is, if we understand the scriptures correctly, that's just a short period. I mean, seven years maybe, and that's what most of the charts and graphs and maps say, if they're correct of taking that literally, seven years. Well, what's seven years? I remember seven years ago like it was yesterday. I mean, time's moving, and it's coming like a flood, just like the Word of God said. So, so I know that's got to happen. But that could happen in our lifetime. Um, and, and so, you know, and then, well, where's the rapture? There's rapture. Is it pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip? Some people say there's not even a rapture. I happen to believe the scripture is very clear. There is a some kind of a protecting, a taking out, a taking away, a catching away. Those words are actually used, as you probably know, in, in, in the original languages, and they're translated into the English. So, so the bottom line is we're living in the most prophetic time since the first coming of Jesus Christ. Because the next big prophecy prior to his second coming was the return of Israel. Well, we're there. Then the return of Jerusalem to Israel. Well, we're there. Then the collapse of Middle Eastern nations, Syria particularly, the joining of Russia and Persia and, you know, all this stuff. Well, that's happening. Uh, terror, terrorism, men's hearts will fail them because of the terror of those days. Well, we're there. I mean, you could go on and on and on. Christian persecution will be worse than ever before, Jesus said. And I know that when people look at that, they say, well, that's in the middle of the Great Tribulation. Maybe so, but all I know is all of the stats, all of the people that collect this information um, have recorded very, very accurately and faithfully that in our generation, there are more Christians put to death every day and every year than collectively in the entirety of Christianity before us. So we are already living in the prophecy of Jesus where he said in those last days before the return of the Son of Man, you'll be put to death, you'll be killed by the sword, and it'll be worse than anything before. It'll be, and, 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 and already it is. Now, people might be screaming at me right now saying, but it's going to get worse. I, I think it is. I think you're right. All I'm saying is we're already there. So you began by asking the question, you know, are we living in the last days? Now, I want to make sure that your audience understands this, and I'm sure most of them do, but you're always getting new viewers and listeners and new Christians, new people to the Word. So when the Bible speaks of last days, and you ask me, are we in the last days? Yes, we are. I'm not setting dates. I don't know. Antichrist, the return of the Lord, that could happen in our lifetime. 
it may be 100 years from now, maybe 200 years from now, but I doubt it. And, and I could be wrong, but I doubt it. It might be 2,000 more years from now, but I doubt it. Just everything's coming together so quickly. And I truly believe part of that countdown clock is the return of Israel. And so, so that's happened, and we're 70 years. That's a prophetic, profound number. You know, I'm not trying to do numerology here, but the Bible speaks heavily. The, the 70 weeks of Daniel, seven, seven times 10, the 10 commandments, the number of God's administration, seven, perfection, completion, 70 years. God is a God of math and numbers and, 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 and intelligence and design. And so the Word of God is designed with that that. In, that intelligence embedded in it, and a lot of it's wrapped around numbers. And so here we are. We're 70 years, the other side of Israel. We're the only generation to see all of this happening. And it's basically all the clock started ticking on all this when Jerusalem was restored. Just think about it. When, Jer when Israel was restored to the land in 1948, when, when that happened, it, it, people watched it on a grainy black and white television. If, if you were lucky, because, you know, you had to have an antenna high enough, and there were three networks, and if you were lucky, you got one of them. <laughs> and if you were in a city, I mean, you might have gotten two or three. But And that was information systems back then. That was the technology. Um, now, I mean, we didn't have a remote control. I mean, 1948, remote control was, hey, son, get up, turn the TV up, change the channel. That was a remote control. The children were the remote control in 1948. We, we, didn't, we didn't have anything. But here's Israel. Now think, in 70 little short years, seven little decades, not even a whole lifetime of most humans, look what's happened. From grainy black and white television, the restoration of Israel, technology has exploded. I mean, we're into quantum computing and genetic editing and CRISPR-Cas9 and instantaneous information uh, communication networks and satellite and cable and 24-7 and news cycle and military machinery and equipment and circumnavigating the globe and nuclear-powered uh, submarines and aircraft carriers and space shuttles and space probes out in deep space beyond our galaxy. <laughs> From a black and white TV seven decades ago to this, and it's still exploding? AI, robotics, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and this has only happened in one generation. And, it's, and all of these things we've talked about are coming like this. So ask me again, do I think we're in the end times? Yes, absolutely we are. I don't think it, I know it. When is the beast going to arise? At the end of the age of Pisces. And what's really fascinating is that you have you have Yuval Noah Harari out there, the famous proponent of transhumanism who's like this who's like the spokesperson for the global elite as it pertains to transhumanism. And and Harari is out there saying that we are the last generation of Homo sapiens. In he says 100 to 200 years from now, the earth will be populated by post-human species. Is it coincidental that Harari's projections correspond to the end of the age? And Armageddon and the beast making war with God, a post-human army? It's not coincidental that at the end of the age, even according to these futurists, then Harari's prediction about the end of humanity and the rise of a post-human species puts us right at the end of the age when we know the beast is coming.
according to the calculation of the number of the beast. Six times six times six. So the book of Revelation, you've probably heard of it before, but what does it really say about the end of the world? I found this old VHS tape from the 80s that really explains the book of Revelation. So I'm going to play you this old tape that I found. Keep in mind, it's very old. It was recorded in the 80s. Um, the quality of the audio was terrible and the video was terrible. So I did the best I could to kind of clean it up a little bit. It's not perfect, but it is better than what it was. So, all right. So here it is, the book of Revelation. In place of Christ. This world leader will be the most popular man that has ever walked the planet Earth. He will be embraced by the whole world as the man of the hour. He's going to bring an apparent peace. He will rise as a finance man, a peacemaker, but emerges as the most powerful dictator that the world has ever seen. He will be a dynamic, mesmerizing public speaker. Apparently, this is the way he will literally sway the world. And it talks about him winning the hearts of the world, not just taking power over them, but he wins their hearts. He convinces them that he is the one who can bring world peace and prosperity and security. He's a convincer. He's able to persuade uh, people like no one ever has before. The Bible also speaks of him as having supernatural powers, doing signs and wonders. He's going to be a very convincing act. He's going to be the most attractive leader. There's a tendency, because of our spiritual orientation, to paint him in, in evil colors, and that is certainly valid, but it won't be apparent to the secular world. He is going to be the peacemaker. He's going to solve problems that no one has been able to solve to date and as such will be embraced by uh, the general population. He will be a media man's dream. He's not going to have to shoot his way into power. The people of the world disillusioned with disorder and bankruptcy and uh, all these individual and intractable problems and drive-by shootings and revolutions and the manageable state of world affairs, they will welcome a great world leader, the man with a plan. Every tribe, every Every tongue, every nation will worship him, not just follow him, but worship him. It speaks of him as being a miracle worker, uh, a person who will appear to be a very uh, good man. In fact, many characteristics of Messiah will be found in him. But I believe that, uh, as Revelation 13 describes, he will be personally indwelt by Satan. He's energized by and the pawn of a final uh, uh, scheme by Satan himself. And it's Satan's attempt to counterfeit the real Messiah in an attempt to thwart God's purpose. This false Messiah is portrayed in Revelation as a rider on a white horse, the first of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. His control of the world becomes so complete that no one will be able to buy or sell anything without his mark of 666 in their right hand or on their forehead. Anyone taking his mark is doomed to spend eternity in hell. All who refuse to take his mark, called the mark of the beast, will be hunted down and killed. He will force all people to take a mark called the mark of the beast, without which no man will be able to buy or sell. This will probably be linked to a global cashless economy, which will be introduced in the wake of some economic calamity. This is not out of the realm of possibility within the very next few years. A strong government then will be able to control every person on the face of the earth. Because when we spend money, they'll know where we spend it.
when we receive money, they'll know when we receive it. Uh, every purchase we make is going to be recorded. Cash is gone. Everything is digital. You start to pay for the groceries. Your number comes up. The lady or the man says, I'm sorry, but uh, your number's been deactivated. Then you go back to what the Bible says, and he's given power over the money so that people cannot buy, they cannot sell without his mark, without his number, and so on. According to the Bible, these seven years will be a time of tremendous deception. The world media will promote this global leader and his agenda. During this period, all religions will be considered equal and unite into one compromised worldwide spiritual organization. It's interesting that this coming world leader will apparently be successful at causing a universal one world religion. That sounds very appealing to the modern mind, but it is directly antithetical to the teachings of Jesus Christ. In order to bring the world together as one, it's going to have to be done with a religion. And I think we have that religion just over the horizon. I think it's going to be an occultic religion. It's going to be a pagan religion. It's going to be a, a religion that will syncretize all of the other religions of the world. We can naturally presume that he somehow is going to bring together the New Age, Islam, uh, Catholicism, the apostate Christian church, and so forth. There's going to be an integration, not only politically and economically, but ecclesiastically or religiously. A second person referred to as the false prophet will rise to world power within this organization. This false religious leader will coax everyone into giving their allegiance to the Antichrist by performing great miracles. The true believer, those that are God's own, uh, will avoid being deceived only by supernatural means. Jesus says if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived, but fortunately it's not possible. So the elect, that is those that are God's chosen, will be supernaturally protected from the widespread deception on the earth. This charming world leader's promises of global peace begin to unravel as the other three horsemen of the apocalypse ride across the earth, representing war, famine, and disease, which brings death to one-fourth of the earth's population. Incredibly, the real horrors have yet to begin. Catastrophic earthquakes, destructive meteor showers, and unprecedented natural disasters follow. Although people know these judgments are occurring because of their rebellion against God, they refuse to repent and instead cling even tighter to their false leaders for help. Hail and fire rain down from the sky, causing a third of the earth's vegetation to burn up, a third of the sea creatures to die, and a third of the ships at sea to be destroyed. A third of the fresh water supply becomes poisoned, while the sun, moon, and stars are darkened to one-third of their light. In 90 AD, the prophet John saw these future events unfold in a vision from God. He obediently recorded them in the section of the Bible called Revelation. There, he describes sadistic creatures not of this earth that come to torment people. Their torture is so bad that people beg to die. As if all this wasn't enough, an army of 200 million kills another third of the remaining population with fire.
during this whole seven-year period of time, there will be earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, tidal waves, natural disasters of every sort, which will produce great devastation throughout the Earth. In addition to nuclear warfare and all the horrors that go along with it, there will be plagues, famines, diseases. The Bible says that more than half of the people who will be alive in the earth will die within that seven-year period of time. Man is now saying, I am autonomous. I am master of my own destiny. I can handle everything. And by the way, he's going to get the chance. That's why the tribulation comes to pass, because God speaks to autonomous man and says, you've bragged about how you can run the world. Here's your chance. And he runs the world into the ground, except those days be shortened. There should no flesh be saved. During the first half of the tribulation, two miracle-working prophets of God based in Jerusalem tell the world's population why God is judging them. They also proclaim God's free gift of salvation available through belief in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Exactly three and a half years into the seventh-year period, the world leader kills these two prophets and enters the rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem. There, he demands the entire world worship him as God. Those carrying the 666 mark become infected with awful sores. All sea life dies and the remaining fresh water becomes polluted. People chew their tongues in pain and curse God, refusing to turn from their evil deeds of murdering, stealing, witchcraft. The worst earthquake in history strikes, leveling the cities of the world. Hailstones weighing more than 50 pounds each rain down from the sky, crushing everything with their devastating impact. Finally, the armies of the world gather together in the Jezreel Valley to instigate the infamous and deadly battle of Armageddon. This all-out confrontation almost annihilates mankind, but is stopped when Jesus Christ returns to planet Earth in the clouds. The entire world witnesses Christ's return. So there it is, the book of Revelation. Now, keep in mind, this was written 2,000 years ago. And you might be saying, well, how do we know it wasn't changed? We know it wasn't changed because we have the original documents still. We have the original documents that were written in the original languages. Isn't it interesting the way Hollywood is beating this drum about the return of the Titans? Thanos, the mad Titan, uh, Sam Worthington, who was in Clash of the Titans and Wrath of the Titans, started a movie last year that went straight to Netflix called The Titan and the new Godzilla movie where they have rebranded them. They're no longer Mutos, which is what monsters of unusual size or whatever. They've rebranded them as the Titans, the original and rightful rulers of Earth. Because again, presenting them as Titans, the original and rightful rulers of the Earth. The Titans are still around. In fact, I argue in my book, Last Clash of the Titans, that they are somehow still influencing things on this Earth, even though they are currently chained in the abyss. Revelation 9 says they're going to get out for five and a half months at the end. When, when the Nephilim return, and we understand that the, uh, the Nephilim, the spirits of the Nephilim that were destroyed in the days of Noah, in the flood, uh, were barred entrance into the afterlife, into the netherworld, into heaven, basically condemned to roam the earth. That was the belief of the early church. That was the belief of the Jews in the time of Jesus and through all you know, the Old Testament period. Um, 
it wasn't until Augustine in about the fifth century that that belief went away. He also basically turned the church away from believing that the Nephilim had been created at all. Um, Ezekiel, though, saw it. And this is the thing. Um, you know, God bless people like Eli Marzulli have been, you know, teaching this for a long time. He's right. The Nephilim are returning. Um, where I, I differ with L.A., and, you know, I, I've got to give him credit because without him and his book, Nephilim, which was a novel that got me down this path, I would never, I wouldn't be here right now. Uh, but I think Ezekiel 39 is, is a clue, but you've got to understand the worldview of the prophets to understand what Ezekiel was writing. In Ezekiel 39, he's writing about the culmination of the war of Gog and Magog, and Gog was the Old Testament Antichrist figure, okay? He is the figure that John, in the book of Revelation, calls the Antichrist. Um, that is the same war that culminates with the Battle of Armageddon, which is fought for the Har Moed, God's Mount of Assembly, which is Zion, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Ezekiel says, uh, God said that he will prepare a place in Israel for burial uh, of Magog, the forces of Magog. The Valley of the Travelers East of the Sea uh, refers to East of the Dead Sea, and it will block the travelers. The key is understanding that travelers in the Old Testament concept, in the Old Testament world, were spirits that would travel or cross over from one plane of existence to another. In other words, the realm of the dead to the land of the living. And the places where he identifies east of the Dead Sea are places that during the Exodus, the stations of the Exodus, refer to a couple of places that are named for these interactions with the spirit realm. One of the stops in the Exodus, one of the stations of the Exodus is called Ovoth, which means spirits of the dead. It's based on a root word Ov, which means medium. The medium of Endor that Saul went to see was the Ov of Endor. In fact, one of the giants killed by David's men, Ishbi, we, it, they condensed the word, Ishbi Benab is how it looks to us in English, Ishbi Ben Ov, Ishbi, son of the necromancer, son of the medium. And he was of the descendants of the Rapha, the sons of the Rephaim. The Rephaim were these spirits that the Amorites, the Canaanites, believed were the spirits of the mighty men who were of old, the ancestors of their kings. They were called in Canaanite texts, called by scholars the Rephaim texts, written about the time of the judges, where these Rephaim were summoned through necromancy rituals to the tabernacle of El, Mount Hermon where El, they believed, would speak words of revivication to resurrect these spirits that were called warriors of Baal. And in these texts, they're described as warriors. They mount their chariots and they travel first one day and then another. And at dawn of the third day, they arrive to be resurrected. Like Jesus, who went down and preached and proclaimed to the spirits in prison until dawn of the third day, when he arrived, except that he really was resurrected. And Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 39 says, this is where these travelers will be buried. One, another one of the stops on the, in fact, the mountain where Moses was led by God to get his only view of the Holy Land, the Promised Land, climbed this mountain of the Avarim. In Hebrew, that means travelers. Mount Nebo is the mountain of the travelers. It's right there across from Jericho in the plains of Moab. And that's where this demonic army 
will fall. Now, I believe that the Nephilim will return. I believe they're going to be the demons who possess a human army. I think by this point, the restrainer will have been removed. The church will be removed. So I pray I'm right uh, that we won't be here for that day because that's the day of Armageddon. And when this demonic army comes against Jerusalem to try to claim God's Mount of Assembly, just like Lucifer in Isaiah 14, I will establish my Mount of Assembly on Mount Zaphon, raise himself above the stars, the angels of God. On that day, when God personally takes the battlefield, which Ezekiel describes, the travelers will be destroyed. And interestingly, in that verse in Ezekiel 39, he says, then the world will know I am the Holy One in Israel. That phrase is similar to one that we see in the Old Testament many times. The Holy One of Israel. Ezekiel 39, after he destroys the Antichrist's army in the war of the Battle of Armageddon that ends the war of Gog and Magog, he becomes the Holy One in Israel because he's in, he's on the battlefield. So yes, that is when, I mean, the Nephilim have always been here. If they're the spirits of those who died in the flood, They've always been with us because demons have always been with us. But on that day, they will be inhabiting the bodies of the, I, I believe, this army that comes against Israel. It will literally be an army of the evil dead, like the ultimate zombie apocalypse. God puts a stop to it. And what does it mean when Ezekiel writes in Ezekiel 39, 11, it will block the travelers. The word translated block is only used one other place in the Bible. It's in Deuteronomy, the verse that talks about uh, thou shalt not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain. Muzzle. I'm not quite sure what that means, but if we take it in context of what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, that you know we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, we will be resurrected, maybe that's what God is saying. I will block the travelers. They're dead, and they are staying dead when the rest of us are resurrected into new glorified bodies. You have no idea how many. You have no idea what's coming. Um, we smell Christian blood. We, we are waiting for our day. And when the call is given, millions of us will be released. And they looked at me and said, you believe in revivals and you believe in Pentecost and the power of God. You believe in all that. We believe in the Black Awakening, a multi-continental release of power to activate the program demonized, where they've weaponized the demonic powers to these super soldiers are they waiting for a specific time to unleash their power yeah they are because they have to do it at the moment the antichrist is like you read in second thessalonians 2 that it's caught to echo the restrainer is holding back the apocalypse of the antichrist the unveiling in his movement so right now he's held restrained soon as the he who restrains is removed soon as that occurs we have white horse the release of the antichrist instantly we have the release of the red it says the whole earth arena peace is taken for the whole earth and all of a sudden it does give the details um, but all of a sudden on a global scale people are released to begin to the greek word is svadzo slaughter begin to slaughter people it's used of animal ritual butchery to begin to slaughter individuals. That's exactly how they defined it to be back in the 90s. And we've heard this again and again and again. So that scenario fits the Masonic version of chaos before a new order. It fits uh, Father Meridon from the, black, uh, the Cathedral of the Black Goat. 
you know, his book, The Devil's Bible. It fits that scenario, too. So some of the oldest, darkest occultists, the idea of chaos first, a collapsing of everything so that a new order can rise, that's all by design. Uh, and we've been given the heads up in prophecy, but all prophecy has boots on the ground. It'll, it'll, it'll all, you know, eventually happen. So I do believe that millions and millions of these trade program, altered, demonized super soldiers, uh, whether we want to say it or not, they believe they are the they're being raised to help bring the Antichrist down. I think the things that we're seeing today is setting the stage for that. They're having to implode America from the inside in order to bring it down so that they can have a global agenda being fulfilled. So that uh, order out of chaos. You know, there's um, all these things that we're seeing fulfill, being fulfilled today. It's, um, it's because of these people following the orders that they get from their rituals. Um, using the power that they've obtained to be able to bring this about. Um, they're they're hell-bent on seeing this come to pass. And the end deal, I mean, if you look at what the Bible says about it, um, we're, we're living in these times. Um, Matthew 24 is even more applicable today than it was when it was written. The book of Revelation, same thing, all of it really. It's, it's more applicable today, and it's necessary that we're standing strong in that, standing steadfast in it. Um, because without it, what hope do we have without it? It's going to be like the people taking a need of bail. You know, they're going to see this supernatural world King come in. Um, who's going to be filled with the spirit of Satan, literally embodied inside of this human being. Um, so he's going to be doing lying signs and wonders. He's going to have, um, he's going to have the answers that everybody needs to bring peace in. And the way that you do that is you have to have this problem. This is the Hegelian dialectic. You have this solution that you want to get to. So you create a problem, get the people to react and say, hey, we need it. We need to go. Somebody needs to do something about this. And so they'll gladly accept what the end is. They'll, they'll gladly uh, accept this next solution, kind of like um, let's use it with the police system right now. Well, we need to defund the police. We really need to go do something about this. OK, well, we've actually got this new police set up over here, you know. And so they've got these uh, these new laws and guidelines. We've just, you know, we've gone through it with a fine tooth comb. So here, take this new police. Well, that's also, you know, part of this one world system that we've been looking at for a long time. What we can expect is a one world currency. We're seeing the economic system just go to crap because middle class or middle America has not been able to work. We're seeing the implosion of the dollar take place right now because of middle-class America not being able to work and provide for themselves. Um, we, there, we're seeing um, people being more dependent on the government to give them help. The elitists, they've already got all the money in the world, so they're sitting back just you know, watching it go to hell. The first thing I think that people need to take away is that we've been lied to. A lot of people get offended when you start talking about these types of issues. You know, in Proverbs, it says you know, a fool is going to discount a topic without looking into it. And that's what I see in America. I see a lot of Americans and they're just quick to discount things, write you off without even looking into it. Those people who refuse the truth, you know, they're going to be given over to a reprobate mind. They're going to be deceived. And I tell people, you don't have to be deceived. We're living in an age of technology. We're living in an age of information. We can just go to the Library of Congress. We can just go research these things. And so I tell people, take from this film real information let it change your paradigm if need be and move forward without having scales on your eyes. 
look, we don't know how much time we have on this earth, but we do know that Jesus is going to return. When he does, we need to make sure that we're in good standing with him. We need to make sure that we are not deceived by this global scheme of the Antichrist. And I feel like the hum humanity, they're going to melt it all down. Just in time shipping. Uh, no one knowing how to grow anything or make anything anymore. It's all building this house of cards really, really tall. They're going to pull out the bottom card. They're going to let the cities depopulate themselves. They're going to reduce the population back, just like the Georgia Guidestones mentioned. They're going to let all of that happen, and they're going to birth this, this out of our desperation. And when our moment of need, when we're hungry, when we're dying, and then add need and want into it, desperate times, you're talking about total chaos. I mean, yeah, I, I read stories of sailors who are, who are abandoned at sea and in lifeboats. And it only takes a week, a week and a half for, for them to be eating each other. And we're talking about hardened military men that are believers. And you're, what, are you, what are you looking at? Miami and Baltimore, St. Louis, L.A. What are these inner cities going to do when they're used to living off monster energy drinks and ho-hos? And all of a sudden, this whole thing is pulled out. What, what is that going to look like? Uh, so you add want and need onto altering ourselves into something else and and christ said there has never been a time like it before and never will be again and if if the days were not shortened there would be no flesh left alive and and he will shorten those days for those few people that hang on there's a multi-pronged solution one get right in your life with the father so if believe on yeshua jesus the christ repent which means turning away from it following the commands and getting your life right and and reading the word and and i would also say to people start looking at getting out of the system where you can when you can if you're looking at land get three acres start to learn what it's like to plant things again to hunt to buy firearms, not as a prepper. We're not doing bunkers, okay? Because you're starting to prep and prepare for some bad times, but not changing who you are or your lifestyle. I'm saying, go back to the old ways, start getting your hands dirty in the dirt again, get away from the TV and the video games and start giving yourself an escape hatch to freedom that's beneficial anyway. You're gonna be eating organic tomatoes out of your own garden, regardless if the economy goes down. So there's. So you start to change your lifestyle as much as you can and start working for, think of a business idea where you can work for yourself or work in a manner where you can be with your families, get out of the commutes. There is a solution. There's one solution. His name's Jesus. That's it. Um, there's, uh, there's no fear if you're in Christ. You've got love in him. You've got peace in him. You've got joy in him. Things are going to get worse, but the Bible tells us that Regardless of circumstance, regardless of any kind of situation that is presented against us, whether be it by the wrath of man, whether it be the wrath of Satan, um, or even you know the battle that we have between the spirit and the flesh on a daily basis, the Lord is our solution. The Lord provides all of our needs, and it's according to his riches and glory. Um, so... I would, I would just say that, yes, there is hope. Things are going to get bad. They're going to get, you know, they're going to get worse. But there, the hope is that all these things that we're seeing, it's more evidence that the Bible's true. And so that gives us, that gives me strength, you know, and to be able to see other members of the body of Christ not bowing a knee to Baal, um, continuing to stay stand fat, or steadfast and continuing to stay in the word. Um, that's the solution we need. That's the only solution. That's how we become overcomers in Christ. So it's, um, it's basically, you know, choose this day to, you know, whom you will serve. 
Are you going to be going along with the kingdoms of this world, or are you going to go and be a part of the kingdoms of Christ? Um, the, 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 I guess the focus that I want to continue to, to push to everybody is that be heavenly minded. You know, think on things with a heavenly perspective. All of these things are temporal. Your current affliction, it's, uh, it's temporary, but it's nowhere compared to the riches and weight and glory that we have waiting for us. And it's all to, it's all to the glory. You know, whether we live, whether we die, Christ, it's game. I have goosebumps, people. You're going to be you still. You're going to look.